2: Welcome to High Stakes Episode 19. I'm your host, Neil Orafield. You can find me on Twitter at PlayerQDFS. High Stakes is produced by Mike Lawrence. You can find him on Twitter at AwesomeYo. And our guest today is Eric Most. You can find him on Twitter at most uh, You probably know him better by his DraftKings username, which is NeedLunchMoney. Uh, Eric doesn't really play on FanDuel at all. He's basically just a DraftKings-only player. Yet he's still ranked 17th in the Roto-Grinders rankings in MMA, 7th in MLB, and 15th in NFL. He sticks mostly to those sports, and he crushes in those sports. Uh, Eric... I don't normally start with a listener question, but I'm going to today uh, because I noticed that your DraftKings avatar is the Bitcoin symbol uh, and things are pretty rough right now in the crypto world. Uh, so I'm going to start with that listener question, which Vegas Gulf Fanatic asks, ask him if he's good now or if he still needs lunch money. And I'll actually rephrase that. Uh, do you need lunch money again?
3: <laughs> That's a good question. Um, thanks, Neil, for having me on. I'm a big fan of the show. Um, so it's I'm excited to talk to you here. Um, yeah, not, not great, not, not a great time for, uh, for crypto right now. Um, but, uh, it's all, it's all happened, uh, uh, you know, several times before. So nothing, nothing new under the sun here.
2: Would you describe yourself as a Bitcoin maxi? Um,
3: no, I wouldn't say I'm a, a pure Bitcoin maximalist. Um, uh, I would call myself like a crypto enthusiast. Um, okay. um, uh i I guess I'm close to a Bitcoin maxi, but, um, I think Ethereum is, is interesting too. Yeah. Um, but, but yeah, definitely. Bitcoin is definitely a super uh, innovative technology and, and it's, uh, you know, the potential use cases, um, across the world are pretty interesting. And I think are only going to sort of grow. So yeah, um, that's the, uh, that's the, uh, the symbol and, uh, yeah, I might have to scale my contest back. <laughs>
2: yeah, it keeps going down. I mean, did, did you get into NFTs at all?
3: Um, no, so thankfully okay. I I avoided that one. I had some I had some friends uh, who were sort of into NFTs and uh, and got a hold of you know and and you know like some apes pretty early on. Um, but by the time I sort of um, saw it, it seemed like it, I missed my my chance. And of course, it kept going up for a long time. But well, yeah. now. Now it's pretty rough for them.
2: I think I think the, the crypto crash has been worse for NFTs than you know just for just for cryptos because mm-hmm. you lose the NFTs themselves are losing values in the crypto price and then the crypto price is also going down so it has been definitely yeah, a, a rough morning. rough time for NFTs especially uh, but we're not here to talk about NFTs we're mm-hmm. not here to talk about crypto uh, let's get into talking about DFS a little bit and let's start with uh, your background a little bit I like to just get started people probably don't know much about you because you are largely anonymous you you haven't uh, you don't post screenshots on Twitter. You don't, uh, you, you're don't. you not very present on Twitter. You're not tweeting very frequently. So I think most people probably don't know you very well. I was uh, fortunate to be introduced to you by Whistles Go Woo. Uh, he, he told me that he knows you and said he could connect us. So I was uh, glad that Whistles was able to connect us uh, and, and we got to meet. But I think everybody else would like to meet you a little bit too. Uh, so I'll just start with my, you, you know the questions because you watch the show. I'll start with uh, yeah. what kind of background do you have in statistics? Do you have formal or informal training?
3: Yeah, so um, definitely. Uh, so for statistics, I, I don't have um, big formal training. I did do um, I did take some math classes in, in college. So i you know I, I know the basics. Uh, I guess I would say that I know enough to be dangerous, but um, um, but I wouldn't consider myself an expert in statistics. Um, um, I think related to statistics, which some um, is probability. And I think I feel a little more comfortable there. And I think that's probably equally, you know, useful for yeah. fantasy
2: okay so that, i should probably rephrase that question because i'm always i'm always saying like am i am i phrasing this the way that i really mean it i probably what i really mean is what kind of background do you have in statistics and probability because that is kind of what you're getting at more in dfs uh these are these the, the terms to me are kind of interchangeable i think i started mm-hmm. asking like what kind of bath, background do you have in math and somebody kind of corrected that i was like well i think you mean statistics not math but yeah probability is really what we're getting at uh, in dfs more it's, so than
3: it all sort of falls under math um right in, in some way um, but yeah, so like, so, so sometimes when you ask that question, I think statistics like ISO or, or, WOBA or something like that. It's like, well, I don't really, um, care so much about that, but more like what are the chances the guy scores 20 points, which is more of like a probability question, um, right. but related to those things. So it all kind of, uh, all kind of ties together.
2: Yeah, for sure. For sure. All right. Well then, uh, I'll move on to the next question. What kind of training formal or informal do you have in computer programming?
3: So I did go to school for uh, computer science, so that is my, my trade, and um, uh, out, of, out of college, I did work as a uh, programmer for about five years, so I have a good amount of experience there, um, so that's basically what I brought to DFS.
2: Okay, so I, I was going to uh, ask you uh, just about how you got involved in DFS, but you do have a pretty interesting background prior to DFS. Uh, can you tell me a little bit about your professional background prior to DFS uh, or any related hobbies?
3: Yeah, definitely. So, um, I guess for the hobbies, the hobbies part, um, I've always sort of been interested in games. So, I grew up; um, I was very much into chess and uh, and and play chess competitively throughout high school. Um, got introduced to poker in college, um, and uh, and went around playing poker tournaments in college and trying to get good at that game. And then was introduced to DFS and the whole advertising blitz, and thought it seemed interesting. Um, as for uh, yeah, as for my professional background, so I uh, I got a job out of out of school at a trading firm outside of Philadelphia, and um, sort of went through a you know new hire developer program um, there, um, sort of a continuing education. Got some experience working on different teams in the technology uh, technology department, and um, then had an opportunity pretty early on to go work on a sports trading desk. Um, so that was an exciting opportunity. Um, and so I've worked there and, and they do, um, both in-game and pre-game betting. So not the same as fantasy, um, and, but, um, still sports related in, and in sort of like the gambling space. So that's been, um, that's been super interesting. Or what's- and and
2: you, you, you were involved
3: in setting lines in-game, weren't you? Um, yes. Yeah. So part of the in-game betting, they would, you know, the, the company would bet their wager their own money, um. On these in-game betting markets, so most people in the U.S. are just familiar with like live betting on their sportsbook app. But in Europe, the, mo- the model is completely different, and the um, sports betting exchanges are a much bigger presence than they do. A lot more. Um, the in-game betting is a lot more of the volume um, in relation to pregame in in, in Europe. So sites so like Betfair, um, for instance. Um, so people can it's just like a just like a regular market. People can go and you know offer to buy. Uh, the Patriots, you know, at 60% or something like that. And then someone else will be there trying to sell them at 65. And so you have a natural market there. And so what um, what we would do is we'd have an array of like models to try to price um, what the current odds of the game are, which is very hard to do. So obviously at the beginning of the game, you sort of have an idea of what the price is because you have, a t- you know, super efficient pregame line. And at the end, you know, it's going to zero or a hundred if the team wins or loses. And then the challenge is okay. How do you get from point A to point B? And um, and yeah, that's that was
2: it's pretty interesting. That's I mean that's that's very fascinating. Uh, do you think that uh, that helped you with your DFS at all? Having that background, do you think that, that was at all useful uh, in terms of affecting how you play DFS?
3: So nothing relates directly.
2: Um, but, but certainly
3: um, being in the space of trading and, and gambling is gives you some lessons um, as it relates to to DFS, I think.
2: Yeah, for sure. I mean, and uh, it's, all, it's all probabilities, as you say. I mean.
3: Yeah, a, a lot of it. Yeah, a lot of it. So, I mean, if you're, for instance, um, if you take tennis as an example, trying to price a, a tennis match as it's ongoing, um, if you just think of the way tennis works, where each player gets a serve, um, you know, service game and, and so forth. And you have points that turn into games that turn into sets into the match. Then, if you can, you know, if you can predict the probability of a uh, you know tennis player winning the point on his serve at any given time in the game, then you can sort of back out the chance that he wins the entire match. So, um, there's a, there's a lot of probability involved, yeah. Um, For sure. And I will. I can just. I can. I think I'm pretty sure I can <laughs> name drop them. The, um, the group is called Sig Sports Analytics. If anybody's interested and wants to check them out. Um, for, cool.
2: Uh, awesome. Awesome team. Right on. Uh, ha- have you ever uh, like followed along on ESPN, the, the ESPN app, like in game while games are going on? They will give you the probability of a certain team winning. Uh, have you ever mm-hmm. seen that? And like, uh, do you think it's accurate? Have, have you ever uh, like do Do you have opinions on its accuracy just based on your background? I mean,
3: how accurate can it be if it's on the front page of ESPN? Um, right. There, uh, it's not, I would say it's, it's not, it's not terrible, but there are definitely certain times, there's certain situations where it can be completely wrong, right? Um, So that's, that's one of the big pitfalls for in-game pricing is, is you can be, you can be really good or really close, like 95% of the time, but then 5% of the time in specific situations, you can be completely off um, for reasons that, you know, aren't obvious to you. And of course... Those times are the times that you're going to think you're making a lot of money in the market because you have a different opinion, and 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 so those are some of the times you're actually going to lose a lot of money. <laughs> <laughs> that so makes sense. That's a trading lesson uh, that I picked up there, right? Like if you think uh, you have a twenty you know, percent edge for some reason in in the market, you, you know it's it's probably more likely that you're wrong than um than your edge is real. So that kind of carries over to DFS in some ways.
2: Uh, and why would you not allow me to describe you as a chess savant? I wanted to, to introduce you on Twitter as a chess savant, uh, and, you, and you didn't allow yeah, me to. I, I mean, mean,
3: just because there were so many better chess players than me at my age when I was playing, they were also young. So <laughs> I was, you know, I was by no means the you know, the, the most the prodigy or anything like that. Um, say All right. Sort of real chess prodigies, but I did make it to a chess master. So um, a lot of people, a lot of, you know, people that aren't involved in chess would consider that to be very strong player but that you know, pretty good to
2: me yeah that's you know, a that's a cool title it, to have it's
3: like it's like nothing
2: <laughs> <laughs> all right all right fair enough um all right so so you uh, you alluded to when you got your start in DFS was was in the big advertising boom which was i think that was around 2015 uh tell me like when exactly do, do you know like the year that you got involved uh, and and it sounds like it was just the uh the advertising that drew you in
3: yeah i was checking that out um before the show um looks like i really started playing in 2016 and yeah i think it was the shipload of of money commercial, you know, um, <laughs> uh, but I just got involved sort of in um, just playing NFL cash games and um, sort of early on and, and just tried to fall back on like a wisdom of the crowds approach. So I was just playing like small stakes cash games and aggregating projections from a few sources and, and, and having them all in my Excel optimizer and, and, and thinking that was, uh, I pretty much figured it out. So <laughs> that was, uh, that was sort of how I got how I
2: got
0: started. Um, I mean, a, yeah, in
1: 2016,
2: it did. So I was, I was going to ask you. So you say that I mean, you were using an optimizer and doing projections in 2016, which. It's kind of ahead of the curve yeah. using projections. Yeah. But most people weren't even using projections, didn't have access to optimizers. So I was going to ask, were you, were you a winning player right away? Uh, did you immediately play a high volume? Did you ramp up over time? How, how did your kind of progression go in DFS?
3: Yeah, I had some success in cash games early on. And, um, and that's sort of like the worst thing that can happen to you um, if you start any new gambling venture is to have success early on because then you get overconfident. So I was sort of at that peak of, like, you, when, where you think you, like, know a lot, but you actually just only know a little, you know, you know? and then. And so um, um, the next three years were a different story for me as I sort of got involved in, in tournaments and uh, basically just lost and uh, broke even for a long time as I tried to figure some things out. So it definitely wasn't all, all roses. I think um, in DFS as well as poker, you often see this big um, survivorship bias. Or if you see some like new poker player that's crushing, you'll look at his ended mom page and it's like, oh, look, one of the first three tournaments he played, he won. Um, I think there's a lot of that in DFS too. Um, um, But it took me a little while before I sort of broke through, so
2: to speak. So you had, to, you had to grind your way to, to break through. You didn't have that success in your third tournament. You had to work <laughs> your way up. Also, um, you mentioned uh, having success right away and how that can be a curse. I just experienced that with NFTs. And I think, I think a lot of us mm. did last year with, with Top Shock getting in right at the right time to see a huge boom and think we're gonna make a million bucks in 10 NFTs and then see it all crash down before us. So uh, I think that uh, that's a good example of a lot of us yeah, getting- a
3: lot of that in the broader crypto space, unfortunately.
2: Yeah. Getting, getting trapped by it. Um, all right. Uh, and, and in which sport or sports do you think you have the biggest edge?
3: Um, so I would say, uh, recently I would say formula one has been interesting. That's a new sport. And I think with new sports and new formats come opportunities because, you know, people haven't been working on them for years. Right. Um, and so people have to think of something new and then sit down and, and do something, um, to model, to model it. Or come up with some other, you know, approach, and so Formula One has been has been good, even though it's it's small, um, um, it's a new 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 format and pr- presents some like interesting interesting challenges. Um, so so uh, and then, but aside from that, I would say you know I've been playing NFL Showdown since 2018, um, so I have a lot of experience with that. I've been working on that for a while.
2: Yeah, you. I, I, you were saying that you. Uh, you split a showdown millie maker five ways. Uh, in NFL, and which is pretty hard to do in NFL. Uh, yeah, it's definitely. Yeah, it's that an interesting like game. Twenty, I think. Okay. So that was like the first year that I stopped losing finally. <laughs> <laughs> right. Well, it's been been going pretty well since then. Um, yeah, I, I didn't even know that you played uh, F1 because looking through your redness profile, it didn't even show that as a sport that shows up there. So I don't know what's uh, what's going on there. I, did, I wasn't planning on asking you any questions about F1, but I think we have enough to talk about with all the other sports that you crush at sure. as well. And we, we can talk about that too uh, if, if you want to. Uh, during the, the process segment, which we're getting to now. Let's talk a little bit of process. You and I talked a little bit uh, last week about, you know, that you, you might not want to go fully in depth in some of your processes, but uh, that you're willing to share kind mm-hmm. of at least a general uh, idea of what your process looks like. So let, let's jump into that. Uh, do you do any simulations or use simulations from outside sources?
3: Yeah, I feel bad coming on your show and then it's not answering any of your questions, but some people, some people find ways to do that. Um, so I, I, I do use, uh, I do use simulation. So I'm pretty much comfortable talking about, like, I listen to these podcasts and I'm pretty much comfortable talking about things that are already being talked about because I feel like I'm not giving anything, anything away. So, okay. um, I do, yeah, I do use, I do use simulations in my approach. And, and I think you get, you know, as compared to just like using a mean, um, or median projection, um, you get a lot more information out of sort of like a, a distribution of, of results which is something that you can you know you get from a simulation so um, that is
2: part of my approach for for most sports right and you're, you're doing your own simulations uh to get to get that distribution okay uh, and, and do you use an optimizer as part of your process
3: um yeah yeah I, I use uh optimizers for for various sports as well um i don't use any like public ones though and like i said since i'm a programmer i just sort of built my own um, there's like there's there's some like python libraries that make
2: this very easy it's not as not as
3: impressive as it sounds so
2: um, i mean you've got a background in computer science you've got a, a background in in probability so it seems like a, uh, it's perfectly set up for you to you know make your own stuff
3: yeah yeah that's part of the fun of it right um sort of yep. adding my own you know everyone tries to like bring their own you know sort of like unique um skills or or just approach to try to generate an edge. So that's sort of that's sort
2: of sort of mine. And you just said you use Python. I'm Mm -hmm. sure some people would want to know what you use. Uh, So yeah yeah. you're a a Python user. Okay. Uh and do you do you create your own projections from scratch?
3: Yeah, um some sometimes. So some sports yes, other sports no. In in general in general, the bigger the sport is, the better the projections are. I think so. So I don't see a lot of a lot of benefit to going and creating your own baseball projections, for instance, when baseball projections are on the whole like are very good. Yeah. Um, but newer sports, like we were just talking about Formula One, I mean, if you're not making your own projections, you don't really have much to go off of right now. Um, right. So you kind of have to. So yeah, it varies based on um, based on the sport.
2: Okay. And what about ownership projections? Is that something that you do from scratch?
3: Um, yeah, actually the same answer there. Um, so I guess you guys at stochastic now, um, have pretty good ones. So, um, will I'll look at those. And then for other formats, um, I've attempted to make my own, you know, ownership projection models to <laughs> varying degrees of success. But, um, as some of your other guests have said, there's like varying things, you know, varying ways you can sort of get at the same thing here. So, you know, I've tried a few of those, but in general, um, I do look at them. Yeah, they are.
0: Okay. I so it's all it's all. all
2: it's all it's all sports specific to you. You kind of take a different approach for different sports.
3: Um yeah. Yeah. I mean, definitely, definitely a little bit. I mean, so how are you going to so going back to I know we don't need to talk about Formula One here because it's like No, let's do it. Let's um, talk about it. But going it's back to That's a new sport that, people want a good to get example, into it. right? Um this yeah. is a good example because there's no ownership projections for Formula One really, are there? Um, I guess maybe there are. I might've seen, might've seen um, like one site post something. Um, but, but in general, I mean, there's like been how many races, nine races now. And let's say you're, you know, back when it was the first few races, there's no ownership. Why, why what, 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 what would you project the ownership to be? As you have no, you have no history, you have no knowledge of how people are going to approach this. So, um, so that pre- pre- presents an interesting like, challenge of what do you do? You know it's important, but you can't
2: (laughs) you can't like (laughs) so for Formula One, that's a sport where you are creating your own ownership projections.
3: Um, yeah, yeah. So I'm doing my own thing for for ownership there. Although it's it's like people would argue that I'm sure other people would argue that it's not that important for Formula One right now. Like, you know, there's maybe like 10 guys that seem to have
1: up to $100. Just visit prizepickscom slash play100 and use code play100. That's code play100 at pricepix.com slash play100 for a first deposit match up to $100. Prize picks daily fantasy sports made easy. Good Formula One
3: models and that's not enough people to really like, that leaves enough, you know, line of combinations for everybody and to still okay. be profitable without worrying about um ownership too much, I I think, but maybe that'll change as we get towards the end of the year and more people uh you know, maybe if it grows. So it might just might just die. You know, the contests are with the nine a.m. start, you know, or a seven AM start and then like a three PM start. It's it's I feel like it's hard to build a, you know, a community of Formula One players when it's not as very regular.
2: I mean PGA is, is once a week starting at like six AM yeah. a lot of the time. So and yeah. that seems to so. be doing pretty well. So yeah, maybe maybe it could survive. Uh, but you think that there's some possibility it's going to go the way of the USFL, where the the contests just keep shrinking. I mean, they, they, USFL kind of started around the same time as F- S- mm-hmm. FS1, and I was pretty excited about USFL, and they just botched that. And it's uh, it, it is. I, I stopped playing by the end of the season because the contests yeah. were so small. Yeah, I've
3: grown skeptical of alternate football leagues. You know, after uh, the XFL, and I guess the XFL might still be around. The AAF, the AAF I believe, like failed. Um, and so I've grown skeptical of spending too much time looking at them until they've been around for a little while. So, yeah, yet uh, get to be seen on Formula One, whether it, um, it's fantasy interest or not. I mean, I know in general, the popularity is growing in part because of the, the Netflix series and the, you know, the, the new owners of, of the whole thing. So maybe that'll translate to, to fantasy interest. But I mean... The game is kind of, when, when Max Verstappen wins 60% of the time, it's kind of boring to make a lineup, right? Right. So it has some flaws
2: yeah my uh, my dad's a big fs fs1 fan i've i've watched a couple episodes of the netflix show haven't gotten completely into it yet but maybe maybe mm-hmm. i should do that uh because it seems like people people really love it and i will i'll let you know that the xfl is coming back next year it's been on hiatus okay. uh, since the beginning of the pandemic they had to shut down uh but it's coming back next year under the rocks leadership so uh in good hands i'm sure it's gonna it's gonna do great uh, I'm, I'm a big xfl fan so i'm hoping hoping at least Sounds that it like does well got
3: some some lineups uh
2: yeah yeah i'll be i'll be excited i'll be ready to go uh do do you think that the so i know they made changes to fs1 after like the first week or something because it was kind of a dupe fest so uh i I assume you you uh were a fan of the changes because it made it less of a dupe fest
3: um yeah so that was interesting i think people are complaining that yeah that um basically with the the way that the roster construction works um and in part because the favorites are such big favorites um, that, and and like any other format where you basically select only six players and there's a limited player pool, you you don't have many combinations of lineups you can make to begin with. Mm -hmm. Um, so, right. So that was the issue is that, okay, like the top, um, like there's like the top 150, like lineups, like best lineups win, like a quarter of the time or something. And that's just like not a great, you know, game experience for tournaments necessarily. I mean, depending on your, your, your perspective um, right but um and then there was one week where maybe the pricing algorithm like algorithm overshot or something like that and there's just one week where you couldn't fit in the best two drivers and the best team and it actually made, made you make decisions um and that was that was interesting so for one week it was like that and they i don't know where the if drafting said least commentary or what but people thought that oh they heard us and they and they listened and they made some changes better and then the very next week and ever since it's just been back to uh i just put in the best drivers the
2: best team and oh. three other guys but <laughs> so, I, I thought they made a change to the actual for- format of the game where like you can't play the the, the team and then also both drivers i, I don't know no, what the... they made
3: no rule changes
2: okay uh, so yeah, it was just a temporary I, thing
3: yeah and i think they could address it through through salary um pricing up the best drivers even more or or doing something with the constructor pricing to make the worst teams cheap enough where you could consider them, um, but no, no, no actual rule changes so far.
2: Okay, I was uh, I was mistaken. I thought that they had made some big rule change that made it less of a less of a dupe fest. Uh, that's too yeah, bad. Pricing that one time made it harder. All right, bummer. That was that was temporary. Yeah. Um, <laughs> all right. Uh, Sorry, back to, we, we got a little bit sidetracked because I did want to hear about FS1 a little bit because these, these emerging sports, I agree with you. There is a lot of, uh, I have a lot of interest in em- emerging sports in general especially if mm-hmm. the prize pools are big enough, because that is where you can theoretically find the biggest edge. And I think I'm probably not in the best position to take advantage of that. I think guys like you who have the computer science and the probabilities background, you're much better positioned to kind of learn these new sports than I am. But I still find, I still really enjoy new sports and kind of trying to figure them out. So uh, it's, it's interesting to talk about. But all right, let, let's get back to process a little bit. Uh, so what type of simulation? There. What's that?
3: <laughs> I said, I almost got you sidetracked.
2: <laughs> yeah. No, no. I'm, I'm ready to get back. Uh, what, what type of simulations do you run? Do you run like game level simulations? Do you run actual like contest level simulations, or, or something else?
3: Yeah. So for this one, for this one, I'm trying to simulate fantasy points. Um, I think that makes the most sense to do. Um, in terms of game level simulations, do you mean play by play?
2: So, so yes. When, when I say game level, that's what I mean is play by play, which then leads to your your fantasy points, as opposed to contest level, right. where you're actually simming out. Like, okay, a- I think that you have to do the game level to do the contest level. I I would assume, uh, but then at the contest level, you're actually simming. out, Okay, there's thirty thousand lineups in this, and this is what I think other teams are going to do. That kind of that kind of thing. Sure,
3: sure, yeah. So so I have a sort of a, an opinion on on these the game level simulations. I know. I know um, some people try to try to do this. Um, so, I, but, um, you know, working at with my work experience the last five years, working at, at SIG, um, you know, a lot of times there's different, there's different types of in-game pricing models, but one you can do is you can try to like simulate the game out play by play. And um, that's, that's extremely difficult to, to get right. Like it's, I mean, it extremely might not be a strong enough word. It is very, very hard. Um, and, and, it's it's very hard. I don't know how else to to put it. Um, so I don't know why you would try to. It's 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 just like very. You, you know you're going to make mistakes. Um, it's going to be very hard to get right. And it's not clear to me what you gain over just trying to simulate fantasy points. Um, Interest. But that's my opinion. So I stick to uh, the fantasy points. Um, I guess one argument is if oh if you can simulate the game perfectly, then you get correlations and everything like that. But at that point, you don't, I don't think you need the correlations because you can just tally up your results, right? Um, you're, not, you're not then running like a fantasy point simulation with correlations, right? If you're doing the play-by-play. So, simulation yeah.
2: My assumption has been that if you can do the play-by-play or contest level uh, simulations, that that will ha- ultimately give you your lineups like you essentially you know you you have your i guess that's if you're doing like contests where you have salaries and stuff where you can you know you do the simulations you have every player's uh every player's outcome from your first simulation people i i think the common one is people do like 10,000 simulations so you your first simulation you're getting by doing the play by play play by play you end up getting the fantasy point total for every player and then it'll just give you the optimal lineup or if you're doing contest mm-hmm. level, I guess, the the winning lineup, the, the likely winning lineup, but, uh, you know, you, you can just do what would be the optimal lineup based on doing play-by-play uh, simulations, and you do that 10,000 times, and I think a lot of people, then you get, uh, based on those 10,000 sims, you get, okay, which how often does each player at these salaries end up in the optimal lineup is right. generally my understanding of uh, how the the play-by-play okay. uh, level simulations go, and then contest level is something that, that I actually, don't think a lot of people...
3: I think you can do the same thing with the fantasy
2: point simulations, no? I mean, I this, this is your area more than me. So this, this is why I like talking about these things, because I, I, I don't even that's do what I would, simulations. That's what I would
3: argue,
2: yeah. Okay, so, and, and doing fantasy point simulations. So my assumption has always been that fantasy point simulations are also based on play-by-play simulations. Are you saying that, so to, to do it without doing that, are you just looking at a player's past range of outcomes essentially to figure out uh, future range of outcomes or how, how are you doing it without doing play by play simulations? Yeah,
3: yeah, good good question. So you do need um I mean if you're going to use projections to do this, um, which you can and yeah, I don't think I'm giving anything away here, but you know there are percentile projections of floor and ceiling projections. Mm-hmm. So those tell you things about the shape of the distribution if, if you trust them and you think they're good. They tell you things about the shape of the players player distribution, right? Like if you're if your floor and ceiling are 15 and 85% for instance, then you have Two points on your curve and you can i don't know try to figure out what that shape might look like um so no i don't think you need play-by-play to do something like that but you do need like you were saying you do need either historical data on on specific players or some other some other method to try to figure out what their range of outcomes look like because um, obviously you'll, you'll need that um but that could be as simple as for something like basketball that could be as simple as just using a normal distribution and trying to figure out a player's standard deviation. Right. And you don't need any play by play at all. You just have a projection, which is your mean and, you know, standard deviation, which either comes from not in play basketball. So this is definitely, definitely not giving away anything, but, but uh, you know, standard deviation, which would either be player historical um, or, or, um, you know, maybe that position on that team. I don't, Think about basketball rotations, but I imagine there's ways to, to do this um, or estimate what that number might be.
2: Yeah. Um, and, and, and to your point about uh, just doing doing simulations, uh, so my, my other assumption is, yeah, it, it gives you the correlation. So my other assumption was if you are doing simulations, uh, it just spits out the actual Lineups for you if you're doing game by game simulations. And then usually, if they're, it'll build in correlations for you. So you don't need to do anything. Uh, So I was, my assumption has been if you do that, it'll just, you can just pick out the, the 150 lineups that, you know, most often do the best, I guess.
3: Right. So if you do play by play and you get specific results, you're like, oh, touchdown, and that's however many fantasy points. And at the end, you look at your, you know, your quarterback points and your receiver points and you calculate the correlation coefficient. So you do get a correlation coefficient from your play-by-play simulations. And the question I would ask you, Neil, is where does where does uh like where does it come from? Where does it come from that like Tyree Kill catches the touchdown? Like well, how does how do you know that Tyree Kill catches the touchdown? Right. Like you have to input some sort of market share, right? Right. Um, so you're still you're, you're still guessing at the same thing. It's not like you solved your problem of of oh, I have these correlations that come from heaven. <laughs> you still have <laughs> right. to input uh, you know market share run pass, you know ratios and all these things that you're just guessing at um right and and that's why play-by-play is so hard there's so many factors as you dive in to, to, to as you dive into it um and to get right um so it's it's very difficult but i applaud those who try
2: I gotta say that uh, as somebody who doesn't know how to do it, I love hearing that it's difficult. And I know that I've heard Justin Freeman, the, the Run the Sims guy, say the same thing mm-hmm. that like it's really hard to account for a lot of things. I think he, I mean, he said specifically like, uh, you know, the uh, the change in game flow and stuff. Like late in a game, he, he he was saying that for his simulation, it's very hard to account for. I mean, like injuries or like uh, changing from a running situation in football to a passing situation late in the game is difficult to account for in simulations. Uh, And and I don't want to, uh, to misquote him or anything or uh, you know, give, give a, give a, Uh, misunderstanding of what he was saying, but I got the impression that it's kind of hard to account for a lot of things in in simulation. So it's, and I've heard other people say that as well. And it's always good for me to hear that because that's always one of my concerns is that the simulations are going to get too good and it's going to be too hard for guys like me to continue to do well in DFS. Uh, So Uh,
3: yeah, um, that sounds about right. Um, That sounds about right. It's very difficult. I mean, especially when you get into like coach or team specific behavior, you know, you have some coaches that are are well known for being you know not being aggressive on fourth downs like that's something that you know i don't know if it needs to go in your dfs like play-by-play model but maybe that's something you consider for uh if you're actually going to bet on a price in game um right. so uh there's a lot there's a lot involved of course for everyone we're just talking about dfs here it's like a, you know <laughs> score points when the players score points it's you know not <laughs> much simpler game so um you probably yeah. don't need to consider everything to have something useful are good um so i think i think i think his um his site's pretty cool um i just hope that he charges a high enough subscription fee that he doesn't just kill the games in two years
2: <laughs> yeah that's uh yeah gotta 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 uh make people spend enough that it's worth it uh until be- before you ruin the game the, the, uh, the problem start-
3: is teaching uh his promise educating your
2: uh, potential customers uh the value of what you're selling them <laughs> right true true All right, Uh, how how much does ownership play a role in creating your lineups?
3: Um, Yeah, definitely something to look at. I think, um, you know, it's a peer-to-peer contest, right? Like, we're not trying to just score the most fantasy points, although that's part of it. Um, Most people are pretty good at putting together a lineup that scores a lot of fantasy points, but really just want to beat your opponents. So, um, I mean, ownership is one indicator of, of your opponent's behavior, right? So um, that's definitely a big
2: piece. Let me take a minute away from this conversation with Eric Most to tell you about our sponsor, Noose Advantage. Noose Advantage is bringing you a different way to enjoy DFS with player props contests. It's 100% peer-to-peer to to help level the playing field with over 500 player props offered. All new users get a $25 deposit bonus with promo code AWESEMO, that's A-W-E-S-E-M-O. No House Advantage has mass entry capability with big prize pools. Beat your friends, not the house. Use our No House Advantage projections and optimal lineup tool to help you take down big prizes. Download in the app store or play on nohouseadvantage.com. What about avoiding being duplicated by other players? Is that a big part of your strategy in any contest, any types of sports?
3: Yeah, we talked about Formula One. I mean, it's in the same in Showdown and MMA, all these these formats um, where duplicates sort of enter into the equation. i mean it's part of the part of your uh part of your ev calculations right is if you if you do win and you're only going to get 40 percent of the prize pool because first prize because you chopped it a bunch of ways then then that's your part of your payoff right so you have you have your payoff for winning you have the chance that you do win and um that needs to cover all the times where you just lose your money right so yeah definitely
2: okay Uh, and and as you mentioned uh it's part of your ev calculation i was going to ask you so are you able to do you have a mechanism of calculating your ev prior to or subsequent to a given slate
3: so if you so so i'll, I'll answer your question with like another question right so if you have the um if you have like a simulation uh for particular player appointments of course it's it's an approximation like that's something to keep in mind with all these things is it sounds like really scary but at the end of the day you're just, guessing it's an approximation it's a model it's, maybe it's a useful model but it's definitely not perfect or real life but if you have something like that and then you can you know and you know what all the lineups are then you should be able to um sort of like apply it and see you know look at the contest results and then it just maybe becomes like a computing problem um so that's definitely within the realm of possibility and i imagine you know people are doing that
2: is it is it something that you do though like are you uh yeah, talk. I've looked at i
3: looked at things after the, after the fact. I mean, I think for like big tournaments, like you know, just out of curiosity, like if you're going to a live final and you sort of want to see, like, I don't know, do I, do I even have a good lineup? Um, right. um, then yeah, I've, I've I've looked at that before. Cool. All right. Uh, I mean, the problem uh, is it's like not useful for making your lineup because you don't know what it, <laughs> you don't know your opponent's lineup. Right. But, uh, it's hard to do without knowing the actual what the other lineup. You want to like pat yourself on the back afterwards and be like, oh, I think my lineup is good. Of course, you're like you. Of course, you think your lineup is good. Right. Like, it's your thing. Um, yeah. That's another thing I wanted to mention with the simulations and everything was that um, that the the risk of of doing these things is that um and not just like relying on. You know fantasy point projections or um you know the tools that you guys have on, on your site is that if you do something wrong um you're just gonna pay for it and so and we're like you know you're always like i say you but not you specifically i mean just like yeah, i know a general person like yeah, um, you're always like it's all you're always bad at finding your own mistakes um you're sort of biased to like what you know your own work, and so it's often hard to find your own mistakes. And you see this in programming as well, with like bugs, right? Um, and you, but if someone else's, you'll be able to see it like instantly. Um, so so it's always uh, so a lot of the times. I mean, maybe you think you're doing something good, um, and you can't see what's wrong with it. Um, but then then the DFS market will show you that you're doing something wrong um, after you like lose money for a long time, and so. Um, so there's no guarantee that these things are are right or perfect or or even useful in a lot of cases.
2: Yeah, for sure. Just, uh, when you're, when you're doing your own stuff, it just increases the chance that you're going to make a mistake and it's going to be a bigger mistake as opposed to using kind of publicly available stuff. I mean, I generally
3: rely on my own, my own stuff most of the time. And I, 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 my human decisions come, come into like inputs and context and things like that. But there are times when I like talk about some of these live finals and some of the early ones where I really just lit my money on fire because I just had i mean I just had a mistake in the simulation whether it wasn't very good like I had player issues like and it's just like well you know maybe should maybe it would have been better off just just making like you know hitting you know making a a handball lineup you know i I don't know um so yeah it's there is definitely um, pros and cons
2: there. Would you agree with the statement that it uh, probably increases your range of outcomes long-term if you're making your own stuff? Like you're you're probably increasing, oh, if you're doing question. it right, it increases the probability that you're going to be like the top player in the world. Uh, but also in, if you're doing it wrong, it increases the probability that you are going to, uh, it increases your risk of ruin, I guess.
3: Yeah, that's a good question. Um, I mean, people talk about, that kind of thing all the time with 150 maxing. Whereas, well, if you're doing something wrong, you're just going to lose your money 150 times as fast, which is definitely true. Um, I mean, certainly if you can sort of like simulate every, uh, you know, how every like atom in the universe moves, then you'll just (laughs) win all the money. (laughs) um, So the ceiling, of course, the ceiling is, is perhaps, is perhaps quite high. if You can just model everything, but it's, you know, it, it can't really it's not really possible to do right
2: all right fair i, I figured it's worth asking at least uh, all yeah right. i mean that's
3: that's why people are interested in that approach right it's like sounds yeah. really good really, yeah in theory it sounds pretty incredible it's, um, yeah it's not in practice from practice is always different from theory right so you might have some idea and then you go doing it and you realize there's something something there's something you think of um that causes it to not work so well and maybe yeah. it works like maybe something you know you were doing before made more
1: sense. Looking for a fun way to win 25 times your money this football and basketball season? of more than 7 million players who have already signed up. Right now, Price Picks will match your first deposit up to $100. Just visit prizepix.com play100 and use code PLAY100. That's code PLAY100 at prizepix.com play100 for a first deposit match up to $100. PrizePix, daily fantasy sports made easy.
0: Easy gameplay, quick withdrawals, and injury insurance on your picks are what make Picks the number one daily fantasy sports app. Ready to test your skills? Join the Picks community of more than 7 million players who have already signed up. Right now, Picks will match your first deposit up to $100. Just visit prizepix.com get100 and use code get100. That's code get100 at prizepix.com get100. For a first deposit matchup to $100. Prize picks, daily fantasy sports made easy.
2: It's good to hear. Yeah, just uh, it's one of those things. Like, since I don't really know how to do any of this stuff, I'm always I'm always thinking about like, what are the possibilities of what other people might be able to do. Uh, and it, it actually mm-hmm. it's always reassuring to me when I hear people say, yeah, it's actually not that easy to do. You know, what you think people might be capable of doing, uh, which you know that also makes it once somebody can figure something like that out, it just makes it uh, they're going to be that much better uh, than everybody else. But um, it's good to hear that it's at least difficult. It's probably uh, going to Increase the the timeline for when DFS becomes unbeatable. Um,
3: Does it is that a guarantee that that DFS becomes unbeatable?
2: Like, I don't think it is. That, that's a that's a common conversation we've had on this. Let's let's talk about that. So we uh, how can it you know, be? How, okay, so one how can it
3: ever become unbeatable? Right, like the 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 level of play will clearly clearly gets better over time, um, and you see it's the same thing with poker, and you see that with poker. And nowadays, like you have to be crazy to try to be a poker pro for a living from scratch because Level of average play, like even the bad players are quite good, um, by you know 2005 standards or something Mm -hmm. like that, right? Um, but poker is like not unbeatable today, there's still people that clean up, you know, and make a ton of money playing poker, but you know, the those players today are so much better than the same players that were cleaning up like 15 years ago, right? Right, so I mean, the games get harder, but and and you know, you have new people coming to the ecosystem and people will either lose their money and drop out or just like play for entertainment a certain amount. And then you have people that are taking it more seriously, and they either same thing, they either like get better and start making money or they drop out. Or there might be people that were making money and now that you know the game gets tougher around them and, and now they they can't beat it to the same rate and they get swallowed up by variants or move on and do something else. So the game gets harder over time and there's new people that come in and and old people that fall out. Um, but I see no reason why the game won't stay, remain beatable, unless DraftKings just, and FanDuel just decide to completely sabotage their own income stream and raise rates to, like, 30% on these contests. But as long as they keep it where it is, um, certainly some some contests, like, seem like they're not super beatable. But, um, I mean, it's possible for nobody to be winning in some sometimes. But, I mean... So that, that we gonna be, yeah, that, so that was going to be exceptions in that
2: case. Yeah. Uh, so that was going to be my counterpoint was going to be, well, if they raise the rake, I mean, there's, there's obviously a point at which the rake gets high enough that nobody can beat the rake and in, in which at that point I would describe it as unbeatable. So say they just re- raise the rake from 15% to, 18%. I guess, I guess the rake is, is uh less than that in higher field stuff. It's right around 10% right now. Um but yeah. you know, they could easily raise the the rake in higher stake stuff from 10% to 15% in the largest field stuff from 15% to 18% and then the field's getting better too. So I, I don't know, it could get get to a point where at least it's unbeatable for most of us. Uh, I guess maybe maybe there'll always be some people who have the ability to beat even, you know, an 18% rake uh, against an even better field, but um you know, it's obviously if it's right, getting better yeah, over time right. at some point, there's concerns about it. But I agree with you. It doesn't necessarily have to ever get to that point where it's unbeatable because, mm-hmm. you know, they can make money without increasing the rake. And, you know, just thinking yeah. about the, the population of the world, there's uh, always going to be people who want to play who are not going to be very good, I would think. so. Um,
3: yeah, you would think there's some sort of equilibrium there. I mean, actually, the site and the players are – their incentives are at least in line for like a rare moment, at least that they both want the games to not go away. Right. So right. that would, you'd think that would mean that DraftKings wouldn't raise the rake to a point that is too damaging to the ecosystem. Um, um You know, but if you hear them start saying more rake is better, then we better start looking for something else to do.
2: <laughs> All right. Well, this is, this um, is but a but breath of fresh air.
3: About the, you know, the DFS is definitely getting harder for the average person and yeah, it's. Um, yeah, it's not looking good for somebody who just, you know, puts in a lineup on their on their phone uh, five minutes before lock. It's not looking good anymore. So
2: you're making me feel better. I, I leave some of these conversations kind of a little bit dejected. I mean, I'm not really, but like a little bit like uh, is this is a game going away in, in five years because it's going to be impossible to well, be. But I you're mean, telling me that you know, simulations aren't going to kill me. Right? That's right, yeah. you got to uh, stay optimistic. My, I'm doing this full-time.
3: I left my job to do this. So if I believe that it was going to yeah. be uh, unbeatable in two years, like, I'd be pretty dumb.
2: And when um, did you say you left? You, you told me that out. you left. Who knows? You left your job fairly recently, right?
3: Yeah, so that's something that we uh, we share in common there. Yeah, so I've been focusing on DFS uh, since mid-February. Um, yeah. So I've been playing a lot, but I decided to to, uh, to go for it.
2: Nice. Yeah, and I, I just left my job in, in September. So yeah, pretty uh pretty similar. We've just been doing so this full time for yeah
3: only D F S optimists on, on this call.
2: That's right. Only D F S optimists and and people who think they can that that the sims aren't going to run us out of business. Uh, all right, <laughs> let's get into a little bit more uh, specific process. Just a little bit. Just uh, so uh, we had a listener question from Ahabro who wanted your step-by-step process for each sport. Uh, I couldn't tell. I, can't, I can never, I can not always tell with him if he's joking with this question or if he actually just, you know, because he, he wants you to get really in-depth and tell you exactly how you're crushing all these sports or if he's serious, just like he, he kind of wants a at least an overview of the step-by-step process. But I'm going to at least try to get that out of you, the step-by-step process uh, for <laughs> at least your, your main sports. Uh, yeah. So I mean... let's... <laughs>
3: Yeah, that's, that's gotta be a joke, right? <laughs> <laughs>
2: I think so. But I also kind of grilled him pretty hard when he was on this show. Yeah. So maybe he's like, do it to other people. Ask them all the okay. all these questions about what you're yeah, doing. Um,
3: I actually yeah, I actually met uh, Peter at the baseball final last year. Okay. Um so shout out to him. He had an incredible year uh yeah. last last year. And so I enjoyed meeting him. So I think I think he is joking. Uh, the first step is to download the projections from stochastic.com and then Love it. Uh, after that, there's some question marks and then
2: profit at the end. I like that. Um, all right, but let, let's talk about just uh, just general, like the, the timeline that you're on uh, with these things and kind of uh, so, some general things. So for MLB, uh, how long before first games lock do you typically get started working on a given MLB slate?
3: Yeah, so usually I'd like to start 90 minutes or so, maybe two hours um, if it's a bigger slate lock i do like to um i do like to from, to familiarize myself with what is going on i think context is very important and that's something that you know only like sort of like human perspective can add mm-hmm. um, that's something that's similar to trading where it's like sort of like man man plus machine um, so i like to start maybe an hour and a half two hours before i, I like to just do a little research on the pitchers read some content and figure out if there's any, this can be weather related or it can be like pitch counter injury related, you know, any sort of like, <coughs> any sort of concerns that might not be encapsulated by projections very well that should be in your mind. Um, because if a pitcher has just like a 20% chance of getting to start rained out, then that, you know, you know that's, that's a big deal. Um, so it's things like this that can affect like, whether they can reach their ceiling or not are important to consider. So I like to look at some of those things um, and then sort of like familiarize myself with um, what's going on in the slate. Where's the ownership going? You know, um, where the best plays? And that kind of thing. And and then when I'm looking at things later and trying to put my lineups together, um, that gives me, you know, it gives me uh, something to anchor to um, when I'm making those decisions.
2: Okay. Yeah. So, so you actually, you, you are a content, doc, content guy. You actually do read some content to see, you know, at least check in on things that mm-hmm. maybe your uh, your stats aren't going to tell you or, or, you know, the, th- the information yeah. that you have.
3: I think it would be naive to think that you could encapsulate everything into a computer program or a number or something like that. Yep. Um, um, I think it is, you know, uh, well, in in the in the baseball sabermetrics movement, you know, you had all these, you know, yeah, you, you know, the whole Moneyball thing. You know, you had um, a lot of a lot of the new stats guys sort of making fun of the old scouting guard, you know, and the old baseball guys. Um, but I mean, you know, there's a lot of good knowledge there, um, and there are a lot of great fantasy writers too. So I try to absorb some of that, um, and maybe if I don't use it to you know, for a specific play or something, it'll still help me, you know, learn a little bit more about, you know, the pitchers, what's going on, um, giving me, you know, just better background to make decisions with going forward.
2: It goes back to the whole qualitative versus quantitative conversation Mm -hmm. that I had with Brian Jester and how, you know, the the quantitative data can tell you a lot, but then it's still a lot of people kind of uh, leave out some of the qualitative analysis of a given slate. So it's important to kind of get that context. Uh, are, Are you a big, are you a big sports fan? Um, I'm not,
3: hmm, I guess I'm not a huge sports fan. Um, I definitely enjoy watching sports, but I, I would never call myself, like, a big sports fan, although, I mean, I definitely know more about sports through fantasy, but, um, yeah, I don't know. So, I'm you, a huge you, fan. I hate to say it. You, you at least, team. you at
2: least pay attention because of DFS. You're, you're not somebody who tries to do it all through the numbers. You're trying to do uh, yeah. some of that. Look, I would still, analysis.
3: I would still watch
2: football games even if I didn't have money on it.
3: So, I, do it. Okay. <laughs>
2: all right. So, you are at least somewhat of a sports fan. You enjoy mm-hmm. watching some sports.
3: Yeah. Although I definitely don't have, um, favorite teams anymore because of DFS. Uh, it's really hard to have a favorite team,
2: um, when you have like a, you know, monetary incentive to refer the other guys. <laughs> yeah, I I have favorite teams and like there were, I went to some Timberwolves games where I just decided not to play DFS that night just because I wanted to be an actual fan for once. But typically yeah,
3: if I'm... a better experience.
2: <laughs> yeah, if I'm playing DFS, uh, then my, it ends up being what play is going to make me the most money. If if the Timberwolves are going to miss a three-pointer to win the game and it's going to win me hundred thousand dollars, I'm cheering for them to miss that three-pointer because I'm mm-hmm. I'm not a good enough sports fan to, to yeah, be I like, do that, yeah. I don't care about my money. <laughs> You no, know, it's still, still, still money first mostly. So sometimes I'll just uh, abstain from playing so that I can focus on my fandom a little bit. But uh, yeah,
3: you're yeah, I'm be the one guy in the Timberwolves shirt standing up cheering when the, <laughs> right, exactly. the buzzer goes off the rim.
2: <laughs> I think that actually happened to me last year where I needed the Timberwolves to miss a shot at the buzzer, and it worked out. And one, one of my bigger wins, I believe, was on the Timberwolves uh, missing missing a last second shot. So I believe that's actually actually a real world example where I was cheering against the Timberwolves because uh, I had like. Hundred thousand on the line or something. Um, all right. Uh, so you, we kind of you already kind of said you uh, you do consume content. That's kind of how you start. Do, do you listen to live shows at all while you're working?
3: Um, sometimes, not all the time. Sometimes. Um, that's probably for similar reasons to just consuming the content, though, just to get an idea for. Okay, did anything change since when? You know, this article came out. Um, is there right. anything new I need to know about? Um, yeah. I mean. But uh, yeah, so I'll listen occasionally. Not if if it's like I'm overwhelmed, I won't listen. Um, then at that point's just a distraction. Yeah.
2: Um, um. But yeah. Okay. Yeah, I'm, I'm the same way. I, I would like to if I can, if I think it'll help me. But then sometimes if I'm like I don't have enough time, I'm just I'm not going to listen at two x speed while I'm building my lineups because while I'm building my lineups, I'm not really paying attention to what's being said anyway. Mm-hmm. So. Um,
3: yeah, I'm just mostly just looking for the, for the context, like I was saying before. Like. Yep. Is this pitcher making his second start off the I.L.? You know, well, yep. see, that's one of those factors that you might not see in the projections. If, you know, he's got a full pitch count, but there's extra risk that you might want to consider. Yep, exactly.
2: All right. Uh, so for NFL, that NFL, it's obviously uh, it's a different game because there's you have much more time to prepare because prepare it's not a daily sport. Uh, yeah. So how long before the first games lock on, let's say, a, a classic NFL slate. Do you think you typically get started on a given NFL slate?
3: Yeah, so, um, so I haven't played, like, a full, you know, NFL season um, full-time before. So um, last year I was working. Um, so I would, you know, do a little research uh, towards the end of the week. Um, but I had a pretty bad NFL process. And I had mostly just played Showdown before last year. And, and to be honest, Classic didn't go great. So, um, yeah, we're going to work on that this year and, and try to do – try to do better and try to apply some of the showdown lessons to main slate um, because there's just more games. <laughs> um, so I don't have a good answer to the NFL process because okay. I
2: don't have a good one. Cause it's going to change next year. Yeah. This year <laughs> it's going to be a completely different thing.
0: But let me see, what, I would like what, to do.
3: <laughs> what I would like to do yeah, would here. be to, to look at, you know, the injury situations, maybe Thursday, Friday, you know, read some game overviews and write-ups again, just to get that context and then go through projections and sort of like Put my, my touch on things and then sort of like set up what I think, you know, could happen in different scenarios going into uh, going into the weekend. I think that's probably a good,
2: good, good approach. Yeah. That sounds, sounds like a good approach um, for what it's worth. I also uh, believe that I had a losing season last year on NFL Classic Slates uh, and, and Showdown saved me. Um, so uh, with Showdown being your, your better NFL uh, game last year, what, what does that approach look like for you? I mean, I guess maybe it'll be different this year as well because you're not going to be working full-time, but uh, what do you think that approach looks like for, say, a Monday night Showdown?
3: Yeah, that one might be similar. Um, I would, like, watch a show for Showdown. It's entertaining. Um, um, but um, But, yeah, I might sit down like two hours before. Like, I mean, the great thing about football is you get the lineups pretty, pretty early on. Um, what, what am I talking about? The lineups. You get the inactives. Um, yeah, yeah. It's it's an hour season. and a half before. Yeah. Um, right. You get the inactives. So you sort of know what the depth, depth chart looks like uh, going into the game. Um, you sort of know where all the projections stand and you can, you know, have your own opinions there. And so basically write down my, well, not write down, but put my own opinions and, uh, and, uh and, and sort of go from there, making starting to make teams. Um, you know, looking at ownership is important, um, but in general, like what you're looking for is is sort of just like the thing that you know you might the projection that you disagree with, right? Like that's mm-hmm. the biggest source of of edge that you can have. So, um, good example of this would be like Green Bay Packers, like running back timeshare with Aaron Jones and. Uh, Uh, AJ Dillon. AJ Dillon yeah AJ Dillon this year um and you know you sort of have to assume like how they're gonna what their game plan is going to be um and so you know projections might have it split down the middle maybe but maybe for some other like reason you think you know it's Aaron Jones's game tonight um a similar example this is actually not my example but my friend actually won um one of I think he won like the 2k showdown or something this night it was like that Saints dolphins maybe was it yeah it was like the ian book game i think and yep. um and the saints just had like no running backs and no quarterback um and and so i mean somebody's got to be the rb1 right so i think uh um uh, like washington i think was like projected rb1 or it was no was it tony, jo- it was tony jones is it was a tony jones one
2: yeah day.
3: yeah tony jones was rb1 and so he was getting the projection but um you also had Ty Montgomery who they use from time to time in the pass catching role, and uh, and my friend is just like, well, I just think that you know, um, you know, they got Ian Book, the Dolphins have a really good defense, like they're going to be playing from behind a, a high percentage of the time, and it's not going to be Tony Jones running up the middle for three yards. It's going to be you know checkdowns to uh, Montgomery, to Ty Montgomery, yeah. And uh, this is funny because Ty Montgomery is like favorite player. His going back to like the Packers, I think. And everything. Um. So he uh, had this big this big you know this big stand on time montgomery and uh and you know there you go so I think for showdown, things like that, and like thinking differently about you know where could because most people you know a high percentage of the field is using projections now, so you know that projections are gonna influence what the ownership is gonna be like, and so yeah. in this situation, you know you have to consider okay, how often is how often is uh is, is the game strip gonna go and in, in the way you you know the way it needs to go for Tony Jones to get his like eight rushing points or, you know, his, his eight fantasy points. Right. Yep. Um, and, you know, the, the and, and of course this is another thing with projections is you get the um, maybe Ty Montgomery's <clears throat> mean projection is like 2.5, but it's looking in reality, it's looking like zero a bunch of the time. And then it's looking like 12 some of the time right? and then the right frequency to average out to 2.5. And so like, that's another thing. You know, you can try to identify situations like that and uh, take advantage of them. So that's the showdown process is just looking at looking at things like that, I mean, you know, just trying to put a football take on it and understand like where um,
2: projections might be fragile. That's what I love about showdown because you, you can't really do that that much in a classic like because what what... Advantage can you really gain by thinking yeah. that that people are wrong about the Ty Montgomery versus uh, versus Jones split? Like you're not going to gain much edge there because neither of them are really great options anyway. Uh, but in showdown, yeah, you can really find those like minimal th- those edges. You just look a little bit closer and think a little bit more about where people could be wrong, and you can gain kind of a massive edge just by thinking about where the field is going to go wrong. And I, I think Montgomery was was somebody that I I think I there were a couple times last year where I was heavy on Montgomery and I thought uh, this is the time they're going to use them. And it worked out one of them might've been that game. Uh, and and one of them is just like, he did absolutely nothing. And I think that was the one that I was on a show and told everybody else to use him. He did not do anything. And then the next time he, he did a lot better, but uh, yeah, it's uh, it's, it's a fun, I, I love NFL showdown, which is funny because I think a lot of pros uh, were not far removed from all of us thinking like, what's the point of this? Like, it's unbeatable. Like, you know, you, you're just going to split money with everybody anyway. And then just kind of, there was a quick evolution for people being like, Oh, I can find a massive edge by getting unique. And, you know, you don't really give up yeah, that much in terms fun, of right? probability. Yeah,
3: Like in football, you can have a different take and, 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 you know, how the game is going to play out and be right. So of course, of course, uh, loss in all this is you have to be right. <laughs> right. Exactly. Yeah.
2: <laughs> So, the other time Ty montgomery might have gotten zero when i was like oh you should you should do that. i think Ty montgomery has a shot here to, to put up some points and he's going to be two percent on and then it's like oh he should have been zero percent owned because he barely played uh yeah important to be right um all yeah, right not to be under underrated yeah let me take a minute away from this conversation with eric most to remind you to give us a like and subscribe so you can keep up with all of our shows dfs offers giveaways and much more once you subscribe, hit that notification button to get alerts when our shows go live. Also, check out our monthly podcast giveaway. Just subscribe to our podcast channel and leave a five-star review with your Stochastic username or Twitter handle to be entered to win a free month of Stochastic Plus Platinum. Uh, so, MMA, uh, the third of the uh, the sports that I was planning on asking you about. Same question: How long before the first uh, be- before lock for MMA? I guess do uh, you typically get started working on a given slate uh, and kind of what does that process look like for you?
3: Yeah, I mean, I could go pretty quick for MMA if I if I needed to, um, and I generally do like to sort of like go over things and right before uh, right before lock um, because those um, those those lines and those fights tend to tend to like really nosedive into into lock sometimes as you know all the sharp money comes in sort of maybe at the end some in some cases I'm not a betting expert so but there's definitely you know stuff going on. Um, and then hours before the fight starts, so I do think it's important to. Uh...
1: Looking for a fun way to win 25 times your money this football and basketball season? Test your skills on Prize Picks, the most exciting way to play daily fantasy sports. Just select two or more players, pick more or less on their projection for a wide variety of stats, and place your entry. It's as easy as that. up to $100. Just visit prizepickscom play100 and use code play100. That's code play100 at prizepix.com play100 for a first deposit match up to $100. Price picks Daily fantasy sports made easy.
0: Looking for a fun way to win up to 25 <coughs> times your money this basketball season? Test your skills on Prize picks, The most exciting way to play daily fantasy sports. Just select two or more players and Right now, Prize Picks will match your first deposit up to $100. Just visit prizepickscom get100 and use code get100. That's code get100 at prizepickscom get100 for a first deposit matchup to $100. PrizePix, daily fantasy sports made easy.
3: Make sure you sort of like wait and see where things end up. Um... Um, but then uh, early on, yes, I mean, similar to some other things, I listened to some podcasts. Um, um, uh, the the stochastic MMA included um, those guys. Those guys are, are pretty. Those guys know what they're talking about. Mm-hmm. Um, seems to me, at least. <laughs> um, but yeah, I'm just sort of like one of those people that sort of got into MMA more, well, UFC specifically, um, during COVID. So I wouldn't say. I mean, I can't even say I'm. You know. My mixed results so far. So okay. So still, still still working on it. It's, it's it's, a fun one for sure. It's a fun sweat. Um, but yeah, I'll listen to some podcasts, read some write-ups, that kind of thing. Try to understand. MMA is a good one. Now you mentioned Brian Jester, quantitative versus qualitative. Um, it, there's, yeah, there's definitely like fighting styles. And what's so interesting about MMA is the different mashups. You might have some guy who's, you know, wrestler through and through, you know, million takedowns and, and all of his fights against some other guy, who's um, some striker. And then there's some just like question about how they interact when they step into the, the octagon together. And, yeah. and that's the, I think to me, that's like the big mystery of MMA. It's like, well, <laughs> yeah. I know this guy in a vacuum. I know that guy in a vacuum, but they're fighting each other. So, you know, and then again, you have like fight flow, almost like similar to like game, game flow. Uh, where yeah. Things can just go like sideways or south. And there's you know real chances that all these things happen um but then of course like when you see the fight the only thing that you can ever imagine happening is exactly what happened after you saw the fight um, right so that's another reason why why <laughs> um mma dfs is so great it's um uh it's it's very hard to imagine fights going different ways that, um after you see it happen um so um, that leads to like looking for underdog picks and, and things like that. Like where, where could there be value? Like, okay, like everybody knows eight times out of ten, this guy's just gonna get crushed. But um, you know, is what, what are the what does the, the other 20% look like? Um, and you know, sometimes it's like doesn't look that great, honestly. And sometimes, oh maybe uh maybe there's um maybe there's like a real path to this guy to put up for this guy to put up a big score um and, and looking for those situations. I feel like um, on that note, I feel like I got robbed a little bit on the Josh Culabaugh versus uh, I forget who's playing Song Choi. I I think I don't know. I feel like yeah. Anyways, that was a recent <laughs> card. I feel like I got a little bit robbed there because Culabaugh uh, uh, had two knockdowns and and I don't know what, what what he needed to do to finish this guy, but that was a situation where he was a pretty big dog and uh, and and people were just basically writing off any path uh, for a big score for him. But that's yeah, that's interesting about MMA. There's like that dynamic to it that's you know hard to put a number on
2: were you going to win a lot of money if uh, if things had been scored correctly or if he if he had been able to win
3: um no i'm pretty sure well <laughs> he he ended up winning the fight by decision okay. but it was like it was like blow-smart. um and so everybody was right um i don't you no, i don't think that specifically would have made the difference okay well, What uh, would have made a difference is if uh, Jessica Andrade took down Lemos and beat her up for a second or two before she decided to submit her standing up. What the heck was that?
2: <laughs> I didn't. So I, didn't, I, I heard about that fight. I never I didn't actually watch that fight. Uh, there, there are some there are some uh, days of MMA mm-hmm. DFS that I got super into it and like watch every fight. And it's I really I do enjoy it, which surprises me because I don't. I don't love watching people fight i didn't expect that that was something i was going to really enjoy but when you're cheering yeah, for a certain outcomes sweat. it actually becomes it's, it's it's a really fun sweat yeah it's hard not to it's, love that um,
3: it's also uh it also is like maybe the only dfs maybe, maybe this is wrong but just offhand it seems to me like it's probably the only dfs port where you can actually hedge your equity effectively because okay. it's sequential and since you sort of know what you're drawing to going into the main event so, so you mean betting one,
2: versus just, dfs or what do you mean by that
3: oh i just mean like if you have um if, if you know going into the last fight this, you know for me like okay i have andrage and if she scores like 100 plus i win next, this contest for, for mm-hmm. x amount of money and if she doesn't then then i don't win so that, so i know that you so you know the payoffs and you're like okay well like my EV is like 15k or something, um, but it's going to be zero or, or 60, you know, or you right. know, whatever. I'm just throwing yeah. out numbers, but um, so then you could just go hedge and like bet on the sports book or something if you okay. wanted to. And, and a lot of the times, there's not a clean hedge, um, because you just get middled, but um, in some way. But in this one, I thought it was pretty clean, so I was like, okay, if Andra's wins five round fight. I'm pretty sure she's going to break 100, like maybe you know, 10 or 15 percent of the time. she manages just to manages to, to have a low scoring win, but it's, it's pretty, pretty hard for it to, for it to happen. So I felt pretty safe, pretty safe just hedging on, um, and betting, and betting Lamos there. And of course, you know, I don't do this very often, but of course, uh, it seemed like pretty clean and of course I just got, I got wrecked.
2: <laughs> oh, so you, you did, you tried to hedge, but it didn't work out. It was that yeah, 10% Yeah,
3: so, so lost the fight and Andraj uh, scored like 95 points or something. Oh God. <laughs> That, that is rough. And then uh, and, and, uh, and, uh, Brian just chalked up another one. In college,
2: so. Oh, is that one that, that Brian won?
3: <laughs> yeah, easy game.
2: <laughs> yeah. I saw I saw him on Twitter before one of his wins. He was trying to hedge. He, he was saying, like, uh, he, he sent out a tweet, like, does anybody know where I can get down – $40,000 of action on such-and-such such fighter or something like that, where he, he was trying uh, to hedge, and then he, he responded to himself saying, like, no, seriously, I want to. Uh, so I think uh, <laughs> you're not the only one with that thought on the, the last fight hedge, uh, seeming like a good idea. Um, yeah, you say know. you've maybe you've had mixed King results. What's
3: that? Right? I said maybe DraftKings Sportsbook would let you. I mean...
2: Yeah, maybe. You'd hope. Um, I was so I, don't, you, I
3: don't. I don't try to beat him for $50 in every prop, so I, I could probably hedge if I wanted to. When it's just, like,
2: size me down immediately yeah so i I can't in minnesota sadly so there's no there's no way Uh, for me to to hedge on uh on mma but i don't think i've ever really had that great that opportunity anyway you need a rich banker friend to uh yeah right yeah exactly rich banker (laughs) friend out of state to be able to do that um all right uh let's uh i guess all we've got left is we've got uh one one listener question and then we can close it out uh, you can tell me about your your favorite dfs uh win or win celebration i'll uh, let the start with the the listener question uh jimbo slice asks and I, I assume that you're gonna know what he's talking about he says has there ever been a slate that he that you performed well on but your investors performed quite poorly on i don't know what he means by investors but i i'm hoping that you know what this question means
3: yeah so uh hmm, that's a close friend of mine james um and yeah, so um this sort of started back in, in the college days, just you know when showdown first came out. Put some lineups in the lotto. Um, you know, you want you know a few percent, five percent here, you know, two percent there. We'll all just sweat it together. It's all good because we'll lose every time, but like maybe one time we'll win and it'll be really fun. Um <clears throat> so that's what he's that's what he's referring to. Um, but the the lotteries, you know, um, in, in in the past, you know, sort of like had some some group sweats, which is fine. It sort of carries over from poker, where we'd all sort of swap action with each other, um, which is just good for everybody. It helps reduce everybody's variance. Um, but but um, yeah, mostly just just sell to you know give some fun sweats to the lotteries from time to time. Um, but of course that doesn't um, of course that excludes everything else in the slate. So there's been some some slates where. You know, I lose every penny in the 150 max, but you know, win something else. And I'm like, <laughs> and I'm like do I even like tell these guys? <laughs> <laughs> okay. They probably don't want to hear about it. But um, so that's what he's talking about.
2: So yeah. <laughs> so they took they took some of your equity in the 150 max, but then you had a big day outside of the 150 max. Is that what you're? Yeah.
3: What you're well, the 150 about? max, you can you can sell pieces to because it's like almost impossible to win, right? So you never right. actually feel bad about it. <laughs> right.
2: Yeah. All right, I get it. And then uh, if right. you
3: do it, then it's good because you, you, know, you, you your friends won and you won. And it's great, right? So that's just you know a little little fun.
2: Yeah. Uh, the other the other question that I didn't actually write down, but uh, I was going to see if you knew it anyway. Uh, Jesse had asked. Uh, whether why you stop being a tout and pointed out that there was a, a Twitter account named need lunch money that seemed to be trying to give out DFS advice. And you responded and said, that's not me. Uh, had you seen it's this a, before? Or were you aware? There somebody? that there
3: was Yeah. Um, so actually, yeah, actually once before, and I think um, a humbro actually reached out to me. and was like, Hey, is, is this you? Like, I don't, it doesn't seem like you, but is this you? And, um, and I noticed that and I was like, yeah, that's, that's not me. Um, so, <laughs> That seems to me like that's someone who is trying to, um, sell their own, um, stuff. Yeah. And they're impersonating Trying to associate themselves with, with me. So that is not me. Um, if that is indeed what is going on, that that's kind of sleazy. Um, (laughs) but it's tough being a tout these days. So
2: (laughs) we should maybe investigate and, uh, and, and report this person if that is what's going on. Uh, but. I don't know. Maybe may hard to yeah. tell unless they're posting your screenshots. I mean, they got, they got it's hard like to tell. Like
3: Forty followers. I mean,
2: I don't. They had if a they couple followers like, that are people that I like.
3: Off-color yeah. offensive things. Then I might have to.
2: Yeah, right. They had a couple followers that are people that I recognize. So probably at least some people have searched for need exactly. lunch money on Twitter and are like, "Oh, this must be that guy. He's talking about DFS." Uh, but hard, hard to know people's intentions one hundred percent. All right, so that that uh, I think that's all of the listener questions that we had. Uh, so let's let's close it out. You can tell me now about uh, you kind of you kind of teased to me what you were going to uh, talk about here, but tell me about your favorite DFS win or DFS win celebration, or you can tell me about multiple if you want to.
3: Yeah, unfortunately, I don't have I don't have a laundry list of wins to, to choose from here. Um, but uh, yeah, you sort of brought it up earlier. There was a, you know, back in the, they're running Million Dollar Monday showdown every, every week for a while there. Um, and I, I bet you remember this game because it caught some like national news. Um, so this was this Bears-Rams game, game from October 2020. And um, I knew you were going to ask me this, so I pulled up this article right here. But there was an article on ESPN that was published, uh, you know, the next day. And it says... Negated Chicago Bears sack leads to daily fantasy player losing out on one million dollar prize. So do you remember this story?
2: Well, oh man. Uh, was it the, was it the, so it was after uh, the game had finished the stack yeah. correction, the, the guy who had a, a five one lineup where he had, I think five players from one team against his defense. Was that the guy? Yeah, was you it got that it. Yeah, you, okay.
3: You got it. So, so um, yeah. So it's like, it, it's kind of bad. This is, this is my, my win because it's, at the expense of someone else but yeah this guy there with this whole article his name i assume he's a casual DFS player this guy uh rob hunts i think is not sure how to pronounce the last name but but yeah i mean he said he was winning a million dollars for like 20 minutes after after the yeah. contest so stack corrections are like pretty common um in football but it's very uncommon for them not to be sort of rectified while the game is still going on so usually they're like cleaned up pretty quickly and they adjust a yard here or there and your score goes down 0.1 and you don't really notice it or you don't really think about it. But um, so what had happened was that um, it was unique in, in that this play happened with like uh, four minutes left in the game, something like that, like really close to the end of the game. And any sort of reviews that happen towards the end of the game um, get sent to the final, um, there's a final game book that gets published. And the guys in charge of that will handle any final reviews for stats and like record keeping purposes. Um, so, what had happened was there was some play where Jared Goff ran out on a bootleg and there were just like three bears waiting for him. And uh, he got, you know, he, he, got, he got sacked. I mean, that's what it appeared like. Yeah. That's what it appeared like. So, that's a point for the Bears defense there. Um, I believe it was actually a double defense team the guy had where it was like Jared Goff captain. And if I recall correctly, it was, uh, it was uh, Josh Reynolds, Gerald Everett, um, those guys scored touchdowns. So they were on the team. And then I think uh, maybe either Montgomery or Robinson on the, no way, wrong, that's wrong. He had the, the five Rams. Yeah, he had the five, minutes. yeah. Yeah. So there was another Rams player that I'm not sure who it was. Maybe it was uh, Malcolm Brown. But um, yeah, so what, it, what had happened was that, you know, they reviewed it after the fact and they've looked at the all 22 and there's two receivers just blocking guys like 15 yards down the field, like, like an insane, like way too far down the field. Like there's no yeah. way Jared Goff is getting 15 yards up. I don't know what they're doing, but they're just blocking their guy. I guess they don't want to look bad on tape the next, the next day in the, in, in the wide receiver room, but they, they see these guys blocking and they change it to a three yard loss, like a rushing loss. And so oh. Goff loses 0.3, but it doesn't change anything um, because he's got, you know, we all have, golf captain but the bears lose a point and that's enough to 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 change things up so that was really wild because you know i was in a tie for second for like you know 45k or something like that and i was disappointed because it was like so close to first and it's like you know it's always one something away, right yeah Um, um but i was like pretty happy just to get unstuck um for for showdown and then i come back in later after taking my dog out and uh and there's like a stack correction. And of course none of these none of these, these friends I mentioned before, of course none of them believe it at first. Yeah. Um, so that was that was crazy. Um, but that's 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 how it that's how it goes in fantasy. You know, there's always there's always someone on on, on either side, you know, there's always, you know, someone in second place. Um, but crazy. I mean, I can't imagine like like 20 minutes or something. Like, you might yep. wait a few minutes, but after like 10 minutes, I'm telling all my friends, like, I just won a million dollars, you know? So that's.
2: Oh, that's I'm. Tough.
3: Until but the money hits my account. Unfortunately, that's my, that's my, that's why my story has to be. I mean,
2: <laughs> <laughs> i mean that, that, that's a really, that's funny that you won on that slate that, cause it was such a memorable slate for me. I felt so bad for that guy to lose it 20 minutes yeah, after too. the game ends. He, he was actually pretty nonchalant, as I recall. I don't know if he, he, he was on Twitter. Uh, he had a Twitter account. I don't remember if it was there or in the oh, article, okay. but he seemed kind of, he was like, yeah, I'll get it next year. I'll win it next year. So I was like, all right, this guy seems like he probably has some money. This isn't like, doesn't seem life-changing for him, but I don't they remember. his
3: uh, username in the article I and mean, he's definitely not a, you know, I'm not, not sure somebody that you recognize. Regular or just, I mean, probably plays from time to time, but he's definitely not
2: uh, Interesting. Like a
3: showdown regular as far as I know.
2: Yeah. Uh, yeah, I wondered. I was like, is this some is this guy like a pro that I don't know about? because uh, I, I didn't recognize the username, but he seemed yeah, pretty confident was, that he was gonna win uh, going and, forward.
3: And then everybody like everybody, you know, you know, me and you included, I'm sure, are like rooting for like these people to, you know, someone who's the casual players to to have wins like this. It's like really that's like part of the beauty of DFS and in poker as well. How like it's like a skill game, but there is an incredible amount of luck and variance involved, and you know. And, and some of these, like, big prizes, like, this chance of winning a million dollars for this, like, crazy awesome lineup is what makes the game so cool. So we're yeah. all, like, rooting for him. But then it was, like, me and, like, Chipotle addict or something. Somebody, somebody, like, gets moved up, you know, along with, like, some other
2: races move up in the shop. And, like, everyone's, like, oh, come on, you know? Like, <laughs> right.
3: No one's, like, no one's, like, cheering for that, you know? No. So.
2: <laughs> also we like to have more casual money in the ecosystem it is a little bit better for for pros as well so to have you and chipotle winning and having uh your money more of your money in the ecosystem probably not as good as having a casual players money uh but a lot of casual players also withdraw all their money and uh it doesn't always remain in. The yeah ecosystem. i was gonna say anyway. it's
3: hard to uh, blow back a million dollars but i'm sure it's not impossible yeah, um yeah. but yeah that was probably like the my most like memorable win and also sort of like it was the first time i like it was the first sort of big winner I had. So it was sort of proof that it was possible, you know, like you know, it's actually possible to win. Rarely, rarely, but it's not, you know, it is possible. So that sort of gave me some, some hope that I could, uh, I could make a, make a thing of this and, you know, sort of do it full time.
2: It's funny how that works. How you like until it happens, you you kind of feel like the universe won't allow you to win. I don't know. Like I've I've never been like superstitious in that way, but it it feels impossible until it happens. And then when you finally get that first win, it's, it's like definitely still it's possible. Impossible.
3: Yeah. yeah. Well, now I'm back been. to feeling that way because
2: it's been a while. <laughs> it's yeah.
3: definitely uh, it's definitely impossible. Um, of course, the uh, the uh, the other side of that is is you really don't want to take too much away from that. Like I was saying earlier, like you know, the, you you know it's not like um, it's not like a E B lineup has never won a dfs contest before you know right. so it's like you don't want to like draw the wrong conclusions either um and actually like you know taking down like a showdown tournament or something like in isolation like one tournament might be like one of the worst signals of like how you were actually you know expected to do so right um yeah it, and, and so it, and it's and it's funny because that's all the thing that we have so So that's what like all success and like glory is attributed to, but it's like the worst thing, like doesn't really tell you that much. Um, uh, You know, the question is always like, how much did you lose? Right. Right.
2: (laughs) But as you said, it's also very difficult to to calculate EV outside of actual results. So, you know, your, your actual results aren't really always indicative of your, EV, but also it's so difficult to estimate your EV without it. So, uh, yeah, you who knows if like any of a, us are any good? All
3: you need is like a five-year sample playing DFS, and the games right. going to be completely different at the start and at the end. So, good luck. You know, it's like really Great. hard, really hard to figure these things out. Like, you know, eventually over time, uh, your results will, you know, over a long time, your results your results will converge to your RI. But it's like a it's a moving target um, as well. So it's it, it's very easy to you know for that target to shift negative and then you should not know for like years maybe. I mean I assume right. this is how like why some of the best players of the past have sort of fallen out is because like things changed and and it's I mean it's just looking at results is you
2: won't see that. It's not they're not forward looking at all, right? Right. Yeah. That's a, it's an interesting equation. Uh, I, I really, I enjoyed that, that story. That's really funny because that's what that's probably the most memorable slate that I did not win any money on. One of the most memorable slates, at least, uh, the one where the guy had a a five one against the defense, uh, and was winning a a milli very briefly, but, uh, I'm I'm happy for you.
3: Who who would have thought, you know, I mean,
2: yeah, (laughs) I'm happy for you that it worked out uh, the other way in your favor. Uh, it's a, it's a fun story. Um, All right. Well, that'll close it out, Eric. uh, Thank you very much for coming on to High Stakes episode 19. Thank you to Mike Lawrence for producing as always, and thank you for listening. You can find episode 20 of High Stakes next Friday at three o'clock Eastern time on the Stochastic YouTube channel or wherever podcasts live.
3: Thanks for having me on, Neil.
0: People don't think horses and people communicate. We call those people not horse people. Not horse people don't know you and your horse share a unique bond or that your horse knows you know they like your dogs, but not so much the barking. At Sentinel Horse Nutrition, we don't knock not horse people. We're too busy focusing on horse people's horses. With extruded nugget feeds for exceptional nutrition and formulas for every need, our wide choice of feeds makes it easy to find the fit for your horse's health. Find theirs at FeedSentinel.com.